0: The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Well, so good to see you all here uh, today. If you are our guest, my name is Roby. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're joining us uh, online, glad that you've joined us. Maybe you're watching in Overflow Glad that you are here and uh, whether you're in the room in in Overflow or online, watching digitally, we're still gathered here together as a church and so glad that we have come together. As a reminder, this is the last week where we have two services. Starting next week, we've got three services at 9, 10.45, and 12.30. You should clap for that, you can clap, that's great. That's exciting. And um, uh, we're excited as as, uh, more people are are coming to our church. A lot of our our friends and family that are part of our church are able to come back in person. So it's an exciting season. And so um, glad that we are going to be moving to that next week. So don't forget. Um, And also, if you're here this weekend, we are in a series called Faith and Logic. And it's part three. Um, so we have, th- this is the third series like that that we've done. If you go on the City Rev app, you'll see a button on the homepage that says Faith and Logic Series. We have all three of the series on there if you want to drill down more into how faith and logic work together. Sometimes people think you're either a person of faith or a person of logic, but we, we don't think that's the case. I don't think that's what the Bible says. That's not what we believe. We believe that, yes, we're people of faith, but we're also, God made our minds and our brains. He wants us to use them, and faith and logic actually work together. And so uh, feel free to check out those resources on the CityRev app. But as we jump into Faith and Logic 3, we're in part four of this series today. Uh, as we jump into the scripture, um, let's enter into this time with a word of prayer. So would you pray with me? <clears throat> Lord, we believe that you, our Father, have spoken to us, your creation. And so we believe that you want to speak to us through your scripture. And we who are here or are watching online, Lord, we, we've set aside this time to hear from you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would speak. I ask that you would speak into our lives. You know those parts of our lives. You know the the burdens that we're coming into here, uh, coming in here with. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to those parts of our life, to just guide us and protect us in this time. And lift all this up in Jesus' name, amen. There's a tradition that um, I have with my kids. It's usually on Saturday mornings. I load uh, the, the kids up in the van and uh, we just kind of go for a drive. They're still in their pajamas. Uh, we go for a drive. We go through uh, Dunkin' Donuts. I get them each a donut. I get myself a cup of coffee. And we just kind of drive around on a, on a Saturday morning and, and just kind of take our time. And uh, here recently, it's just been the older two, but recently my, the youngest, my one-year-old, she's also joined us. And um, she doesn't get a whole donut, but I do give her a munchkin, so she has her little chubby hands on this munchkin in the back seat, and she like looks forward to this moment. In fact, um, one of her first words has now become "dodut." And so this past week, uh, we get in the car, and um, she can see. You know, she's starting to put it together. This is the only time that the kids are in the car in their pajamas, and so she all of a sudden realizes, and she goes, "Yay, dodut!" And then she just says "dodut" the entire way to uh, Dunkin' Donuts which made me wanna give her about eight munchkins, but I showed some restraint there. And uh, anyway, we drive around, and once we get back towards our neighborhood, sometimes I play this game where I tell the, the older two, oh, I've completely forgotten where we live. And you're gonna have to tell me how to get how to get home. And so they take turns giving directions on where I should turn. And wherever they tell me to turn right, I turn right. If I go straight, they're the one just guiding us all around um, the neighborhood, which is kind of a fun game for a while. And then. Um, when we're like 100 miles from home, I'm like, I better should turn back around, okay? Because they don't actually know. We're actually risking our life. I don't actually know where we are. We're in the Everglades somewhere, okay? It could get really out of hand uh, when they're the ones that are giving the instructions from the back. And there's a point in time where I take back over and I just drive us home. And that's the dynamic I want to talk about is when it comes to our lives and all the dynamics, we have a lot of passengers really in our car. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about um, influences and things that could make the decision for us in our lives. We have a lot of those voices that could be the ones making the decision for us. But there's a really important question that every one of us needs to wrestle with intentionally. Who's actually the driver behind our decisions? What's driving what we see as right and wrong? What's driving the big decisions in our lives? You know, Who we, who we date, who we marry, what job we take? Uh, What school do we go to? When should we retire? Where should we live? Like these types of questions are are these big decisions and we've got to wrestle with who's driving those decisions. The reason that is so important to wrestle with that is that's not really a debate in in our culture and in our society. That's settled. It's kind of like clear cut, known and actually taught doctrine from our culture. Now, it may not be thought of or taught like it's a doctrine, but it is. It's a theory of what is right, and it's taught to us from our childhood all the way up into adulthood. There is a theory on who's driving, and it goes something like this. It's my body. As long as I'm not hurting anyone, I can do what I want and leave me alone. And you should, your body, you do what you feel is right. And so we say things like, you know, what, what feels right to you? Look inside your heart. Um, do what feels right because it's, it's your body. So these are, this is the kind of decision making. And that really goes unquestioned. And so I want to talk about that idea. and I want to show you a passage that talks about that. And not only address it from the standpoint of faith, but also to address it logically. And see that that actually might not be the best way to approach how we operate in our life or how we make decisions. So I want you to open with me in your Bible, or if you have a Bible app, go in your Bible app to the book of Jude. Jude is a small letter in the, towards the end of the New Testament. We've been looking at this book for the last few weeks in this series. Open uh, with me the book of Jude. It's only one chapter. We're going to jump down to verse 3. Verse <clears> 3. <throat> Jude verse 3. Here's what he says. This is kind of the, the meat, the content of the letter. Here's what he says. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now a couple of things here as he gets in here. We're just going to pause for a second then we'll keep going. But as he's getting into the meat of, of his letter, he refers to the recipients as beloved. Beloved. That's what he calls them. That's like a a nickname for them. This was a common word used. You see this in many other letters as well. This is a common word used in the ancient church to to refer to other Christ followers. It's a term of affection, speaking of God's love for us. And this this means that he's speaking to Christians. And he says this, he says, look, I was going to write to you about some things that we share in our faith. I had some things that I wanted to share, share with you and we were going to kind of connect on those things. He said, but I, as I was about to write the letter, I realized I needed to change course about what I was going to write to you. And instead of writing about the things that we share in common, I realized I needed to write to you about to contend with some people who are thinking very differently and their thinking is very dangerous. I'm writing you to equip you to contend for your faith. And then he says, and this is critical to understand this text. He says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. Did you catch that? So here's what that means. The opposition that he's speaking to is not outside the church. It's inside. It's crept in, and it's crept in unnoticed. Unnoticed. It's not obvious who it is. And it might not even be obvious to the people that it is. They might not even know this about themselves. So I want you to catch the scene. Okay, this is an ancient church. They would not, in this time in, in history, this is the first generation Christians. They um, didn't have a church building. But they would gather together. Typically how they would operate this first generation is there would be maybe a wealthy patron in that uh, church and they would have like a large... Um, maybe courtyard in their house. And so all the Christians could come in that are part of that church, could come and meet in that courtyard, and they'd have a place where they could worship together. And so the the leader or the pastor of that church would step up and say, hey, we got a letter from Jude and would read the letter publicly. So I want you to imagine all the Christians, it's a Sunday morning, they're around there in this courtyard, and this letter from Jude is saying there are those who have crept in unnoticed, that we've got to, you've got to contend against. And all of a sudden you're looking around the courtyard, like, okay, it's someone here that we don't know, or several of us, maybe me. The issue that he's talking about, the group he's talking about are inside. How does he describe them? He says they are ungodly, they're perverting the grace of Jesus for their own sensuality. Now when we use the word sensuality in a modern context, we mean almost exclusively sexuality. And that is definitely a part of the idea of sensuality here. But this is talking in an even broader context. Just the things that are fleshly. The impulses and cravings of the body. uh, Of the emotions. The things we want. The things of the flesh. And so what's happening is that there are people. That are wanting to do what they're, they're. They can't say no. They won't say no to their bodies. And so they're perverting The grace. They're living in ungodliness and they're perverting the grace of Jesus. So here's what's interesting. These people actually know the grace of Jesus. They know about the gospel. They know that Jesus, who walked on the earth, some of them had seen Jesus, like Jude. I mean, they'd seen, this is the first generation. They know that Jesus was actually God, the creator in the flesh who came, was crucified brutally on a cross. His body just maimed, probably beyond recognition, maimed on this cross. Died, was buried. And then on Sunday morning, rose again from the dead, defeating death itself, forgiving sins and then has offered himself to be the Savior, the Rescuer, the Messiah for humanity. These, knew that, these, are, these believers knew that story. They knew of the grace, the forgiveness offered through Jesus. But they perverted it. So what did that mean? They, they were saying, well, look, I just really want to do this. God will forgive me. This is kind of what they were saying. They're abusing that grace. And here's what he, he then ends by saying. And in so doing, they're denying Jesus as their master and Lord. They're denying him as Jesus Christ. So there's two things. They're denying him as master and Lord and denying him as Christ, the Messiah. Now, they wouldn't do that verbally. They wouldn't do that mentally. They're doing that through their lives. It has more to say about this. Let's, let's jump down and, and see what he says next. Uh, let's jump down to verse 8. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones." Now there's some interesting things in here. We get a little more detail of what's actually happening. It's saying these people are relying on their dreams. So in other words, they're having these kind of subjective spiritual experiences that they're then using to kind of rely on. Well, I had the spiritual experience so I think what I'm doing is okay. And then they're hurting their own flesh. They're defiling their flesh. So what they, they think that they want to do is actually hurting them, but they're relying on these subjective spiritual experiences to kind of rationalize what they're doing. Now, if you've um, been a follower of Christ, you've probably had a conversation. Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've done this. Maybe, even if you're not, maybe you know a spiritual person and you've watched them do something like this where they take kind of a subjective spiritual experience and they use it as the basis to do what they want. So, let me give you a hypothetical. You have a friend and he comes up to you and he says, maybe at church or a small group or at work, and he comes up to you and says, God just told me that I'm supposed to marry her. And you say, okay, um, first of all, who's her? You know, that girl I've been dating, Jill. Like, haven't you been dating Jill for like three weeks? I know, that's what makes it so crazy. Like, okay, well, what, what's Jill's last name? Okay, look, I don't know her last name yet, but I just, I know what God has said to me. God has said, I'm supposed to marry her. Okay, well, how did God say something to you that clearly? He says, okay, all right. Yesterday, I was driving on I-75. And I had worship music on, so it was super spiritual. And I asked God, God, am I supposed to marry Jill? And just then on I-75, I looked over, and there is Vista View Park. You go, okay, what's the deal with Vista View Park? Don't you know what Vista View Park is? Yeah, I think it's like an old landfill that they covered over. No, 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 no. Vista View Park, it's a hill. I'm still not following you. What are you saying? Hill? I was praying about Jill and then I drive by a hill? I don't know, man. No, 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 think about it. I mean, it's just one letter difference. And, and how far, there's only one thing between a hill and a Jill. It's one letter between H and J. It's I, as in me, I'm the only one holding myself back from getting with Jill. God told me clearly, I'm supposed to marry Jill. Couldn't it also be that God's going with the landfill thing? He's just saying that Jill's garbage. Like, could it be that? I don't, you know, it could also be that. If your name's Jill, we love you, by the way. I don't want any, there's a lot of Jills around here. We, we love you, okay. All right, maybe you've had an experience where like someone has kind of a subjective spiritual experience. Maybe you've had a subjective spiritual experience and then you use that, you kind of hold on that subjective experience and you're kind of, a re, re, you're, you're kind of relying on that to excuse what you want to do or they're relying on it. Well, that's what's happening right here. They're relying on that. But here's what he says. He says, the bottom line issue, it's an authority question. He says, they're rejecting authority. That's what they're doing. They're they're picking the wrong authority. He's going to say more about that here. And then he says this weird phrase. He says, they're blaspheming the glorious ones. Now, the glorious ones are referring to the angelic realm. And in this time and, and period in history... It's these like couple hundred years, especially in um, some of the parts of the Jewish community, there was a fascination with angels. They were fascinated with angels. The Bible does say some things about the angels, but they would like go way beyond just the biblical data and create all these different hierarchies of angels and all these different names for angels. And they were fascinated even in some places they would worship angels. And so that that is kind of this background for what he's about to say next. Now I got to warn you. Um, Jude, you might say, hey, this is, I haven't heard a whole lot of out of Jude. Well, it might be because Jude gets a little kooky. There's some things in Jude that sound very strange to us, and let me just give you one of those verses next. Here's the, let's, we're we're going to read the next two verses, then we're going to pause. We're going to pick it up in verse 9. Here's what it says. But when the archangel Michael Contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Now you say, okay, what is going on there? Well, he's using a story that obviously they would know. They're familiar with the story. And he says, it's like that story when Moses had died and his body is there. And just like it says in Deuteronomy, God is the one who buried Moses' body. And so then uh, the archangel Michael, like one of the highest ranking angels, Michael, he goes down and Satan arrives and they have a fight over the body of Moses. And he says, because surely you remember that story. Now you might be saying like, yeah, I definitely do not remember that story. And if you don't remember that story, it's okay. That is a story that is not actually in the Bible. That's not a story in the Bible. And we actually do not have the ancient source that had that written down. He's pulling it from a source, and we actually do know the name of the source because some of the ancient church fathers, a couple of them, when they're writing a commentary on Jude, they made a note they knew and had read the source that he was talking about. So it's an ancient source that's been lost. Now, why is Jude using some of these weird sources and these weird stories? In fact, in other places in Jude, it's notorious, this book for Jude appealing to some of these weird sources outside the Bible, along with a lot of biblical sources. Why? Why? Scholars have noted that Jude has a very sophisticated rhetorical strategy throughout the book of Jude. He's obviously got training at some point on how to do this. And so he's not only making a biblical argument. I think what's happening here is not just making a biblical argument. He's using the texts that his opponents know well and hold dear. And he's actually going to argue them not just from the Bible, but from their texts as well. You follow me here? doesn't look like you follow me. Okay, but we're going to keep going. I think you are tracking with me. This is a text, probably a story, that his opponents would hold hold dear. And he's going to make an argument out of this text and out of the scripture for what he's trying to refute in their thinking. So what is he saying happened? He's saying that the archangel Michael and Satan are disputing over the body of Moses. Did that really happen? Probably not. But he's using the story that they're familiar with. Archangel Michael and and the devil are are arguing over uh, Moses' body. And the archangel Michael says, the Lord rebuke you to Satan. He doesn't say, I rebuke you. He says, the Lord rebuke you. Why is that significant? Well, if Michael is the archangel, like the Bible does say, that means... um, There's God and there's all of creation. If he's one of the top angels, that means he is one of the the most glorious beings in all of creation. Satan is also part of creation. He's a fallen angel, and he's the most vile, ugly, despicable being in all of creation. And so when it comes to this battle, you've got this this, uh, holy being in Michael, and you've got the most rebukable being in Satan— But yet, even Michael does not have the audacity to step into the realm of what's God's. He he humbly knows his limit and simply says, The Lord rebuke you, rather than authoritatively saying something that is not his business to say. And he's using his opponent's story to say, When you make up stuff spiritually, even your own stories say, You're talking about something you don't know anything about. You're talking about things. I mean, you can't just have an experience and then tell God what he's like. You can't just have an experience or a thought or a feeling and say, well, I know that God wants this. That's for God to say. We don't put words in God's mouth. And he's cautioning. He's showing them even from their stories that this is the dynamic. And he says, really, it comes down to this. They're operating out of their instinct. And he says, I don't know if you caught this, like animals. In other words, if they're letting their bodies make the decision, this is what I want to do, this is what I feel like doing, this is what my body wants, they've reduced themselves to basically being an animal because that's what an animal And in so doing, they're defiling and they're destroying their bodies. In other words, if I could just put this like in just the most clean, just basic way, here's what Jude's saying. There's people in that church, they're just making stuff up spiritually so they can do what they want with their bodies. They're just making stuff up spiritually So that they can do what they want with their bodies. Ultimately, it's an authority issue. We've got to answer the question, who's driving my decisions and the way I live? Who's behind the steering wheel? Who's calling the shots? And he basically says through this passage, it's one of two things. It's either my body or I make Jesus the Messiah, my Lord and master. One of those is the authority. Authority. Now, I, I want to talk about this both from a faith standpoint and also a logic standpoint. I'm going to invite uh, Colton to bring out um, a, a, a whiteboard. Um, and I, I want to just draw something on the board here real quick. Um, I was talking to Pastor Justin about this passage, and, and he told me about what a philosopher, a modern philosopher named Dallas Willard said about this. And he, he broke this down in a, in a couple categories. Thank you, Colton. Um, he it, broke it down like this. He said, when it comes to decisions, here's often how we operate. Um, at the top, we'll just put it up here, we've got God. Not my theory of God, not my beliefs of God, not my feelings about God, but if God is real, then he is a being, you know, and, and he has a reality about him. In the same way that you are a being, and it doesn't matter what I or anyone wants to think about you, there is a reality about you. If I. Just feel like you have four arms. That doesn't mean you have four arms. You are a being, objectively. So there is the, the being of God. After that, we've got our spirituality. This is then how we relate to God. So this is how we pray, how we think, how we engage God, what we read, our beliefs, our, our theology, our philosophy. This is then our spirit, spirituality, how we engage God. Then we've got our minds. This is where we make decisions, how we think. Um, this is, we, we, we shape this on how we think, we learn. Um, this is what, what kind of guides a lot of who we are. And then we have our bodies. And our body is our emotions. The, the visceral side of us, our desires, our cravings, our lusts. It's the part of our body that we, we feel very strongly, okay? And, and here's how this theory goes. We make decisions. We've got to figure out a starting place. Where do we start in our decisions? Because wherever we start, it affects the other ones. And this is definitive Both ways, there's not debate as to which is right, depending on who you talk to. Our society is very clear. Our society says, look, it's my body. I'm gonna do what I want with my body. I'm gonna look inside and what feels right, I'm gonna do it as long as I'm not hurting anyone. So it starts with the body. So it's very clear the way our society operates is that it starts with the body. So here's how this works. Well, this is what feels right to me. This is what I want to do. And so then I rationalize in my mind, okay, that must be true then. And then that shapes how I think about reality. And then some people stop here. But if you're a spiritual person, then if this is your starting place, that's going to shape your spirituality. So then in in my my spirituality, my religion, then it's okay with what my body wants to do, what I've rationalized. It's okay for me to engage God like that. God is good with it. And now I've started to shape who God is. God is a God who's good with what I've decided for my body. That's definitive. That's how our world operates. doesn't think twice about it. It teaches us that route from our childhood. The Bible says something diametrically opposed to that. It says you start with God. In the beginning, there was God. There was no reality outside of God. Out of God, he created everything then God then tells us how to relate to him. And then he says, we then conform our minds to what he has taught us. And then we guide our bodies based on this. We have to decide what's driving. Is it God or is it our bodies? And and you say, look, I mean, I know how I feel. God is this big, mysterious, invisible being. And so it's like, you know, it's easy to know. And this is how the world would say, I mean, here's, it breaks down this. I I know that God requires faith, but what I want to do is I want to show you the logic behind this because the logic is definitive. Really what has to happen is we've got to decide which of these two ends of, of this paradigm, which of these ends is a fixed concrete objective reality and which is a moldable changeable subjective reality. And our world says, look, my body is is what it is. I can't change it. I know how I feel. I know how I feel right now. I know what I want. That, That is for sure. I feel it. But God, I don't know who God is. Everyone has a different view of God. Everyone's allowed to have a different view of God. So this has got to be the objective reality. This has got to be the changeable subjective reality. But can I share with you why that's illogical? If you believe that there is such a being as God not just some higher alien, but that there is a God, that means he invented reality. He's the most concrete, objective being in existence. By definition, that's just logic. He he is the definer of all other reality. You can't change him. And... Our bodies, even though we're in our bodies and we feel those so strongly. Feeling them so strongly has shown us how changing, subjective, and unpredictable our bodies are. Let's go back to our buddy who's trying to decide if he should uh, marry uh, this girl that he's dating. Because, you know, here's here's how, I mean, if you think about it, every TV show, every movie, if there's a big decision for one of the characters... should I sleep with this person should I move in with this person should I marry this person should I take this job you know should you know what should I I move here's how that conversation always ends up you watch the characters around that person they ask them basically one set of questions what do you feel is right you just got to figure out what you want listen to your heart you'll know it when it happens All of that is directing big decisions based on the body, not what does God want. So our friend goes, and he's on going on a date. On his way, he's like, okay, I've got to decide. What do I want? Do I What's really inside? Because that's a hard thing to discern. So he's on his way, and he's like, okay, I'm going to figure out what if I'm supposed to marry this girl, and what do I want? And he knocks on the door of her apartment. She opens her apartment, and there she's standing, and she looks stunning. And his heart soars, and his mind is just swirling. He's like, I know. This is the girl. I, I- feel like this because he's starting with his bot. I want to feel like this all the time. I want to be with this girl. This is the one I'm supposed to marry. I, I know this is the one. They, he walks her to the car. He lets her in the door. He skips around the car and jumps in and they have a great conversation on, on their way to dinner. They sit down at the restaurant and over the course of this conversation, she says something that he's like, man, that sounded weird. No, I don't like that. That kind of like offends me a little bit. So he's kind of like knocked off his rocker a little bit. He's like, not sure. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's there. They went to this Mexican restaurant. The guacamole he doesn't sit well with him. And now he doesn't feel good. He's not sure what he thinks about this girl. And now he's driving back and dropping her off. And now he's like, man, at the beginning of the date, I felt like this is the one. At the end of the date, man, I just want to go lay down. I feel terrible. I don't know where I'm at, why? Because starting with the body is starting with the most unpredictable, changing, subjective part of our entire being. Our bodies are are incredible invention of God, but they were not wired to guide us. They were wired to tell us when we've eaten bad guacamole. They're not not wired to tell us what the right decisions are. You know this. I know this. The world knows this. Do you let your body make your decisions, all of your decisions about what you eat? Do you let your body make all your decisions on how you spend your money? Man, I had a bad day at work. I just need some retail therapy. It would feel great to just spend a lot of money. Oh, does does your body make all the decisions for you about should they make all the decisions about who you're in a relationship with? Let me ask you this question: Do we want our teenagers making decisions in relationships about based on how their body feels? We know this is not the right decision maker right here. We know this, and it's not just for teenagers; it's for humans. Our bodies are not wired to make those decisions. Logically, this has to be the objective reality because we know how subjective our bodies are. And it's not just that our bodies are unpredictable. Our bodies are, are, there's brokenness in our bodies. There's wounds and hurts that, that cloud how we make decisions, that cloud what feels right. There's brokenness hardwired in us that we need God, our creator, to heal us and save us from. There are people that they'll take one sip of alcohol and because of how they're wired, something surges in them in an overwhelming, uncontrollable craving from alcohol is activated and they can't stop. You know that's true. Should that person listen to their body and let their bodies make the decisions? Our bodies are unpredictable and our bodies are broken. They're wonderfully made by God but we need him to, to heal the brokenness in our bodies. We've got to make the decision, what is it that is going to, we've got to decide, what is it that's going to be the driver? It, what is going to be our, our authority? What is ultimately going to be our authority? And, and really, it, it brings us to a decision point. Is it Jesus or is it our bodies? And it's not. I want you to hear what he's saying. His logic is not. Look, I want to. Uh, oh, it's better be Jesus because I, you know that's what God wants. He wants you to just constantly, just you know, discipline your body and torture your body and confine your body to prove that you love Him. No, that's not what He's saying. He's saying because when you let your body make the decisions, you are headed to defiling and destroying your body. That's what He's saying. It's out of mercy. If you're making decisions based on your body as if looking inside and doing what feels right please choose a different master but I want to dig into this application here because remember who the audience of this letter was it's not the people outside it's people inside the church it's crept in it's for us 2,000 years later, to look around our courtyard and really look inside our hearts. Am I spiritually making stuff up so I can do what I want with my body? Say, man, do Christians do that? Yeah, let me give you just one example of many. You know, every time um, we're going through a series where we're opening the Bible and talking about what the Bible says what Jesus, our master and authority, our Lord, says about how we should handle money every time we have a series, which is not what this series is about. It's not what today's about. But every time we, we do a series like that, hey, Jesus, what do you want us to do when it comes to money? Every time we go through one of those series, some people leave the church. And oftentimes, they say something like, oh, here it goes again. That just church just wants my money. And you know I, In in empathy and compassion, I know that some of those people have really been deeply hurt by a church that maybe that was their heart or mishandled something. And that's sin. That's terrible. And that there's wounds and hurt and baggage that they're processing through. and, And they need to process through that. But another part of the key phrase there was my money. If I'm not the Lord and master of my life, I have no money belongs to Jesus. It's all his. Everything I own, everything, every part of my being, I've renounced it all and said, it's all yours, Jesus. So, of course, we're going to be a church that opens up the scripture and say, Jesus, what do you want me to do with every part of my life? My body, my relationships, my sexuality, my time, my finances, my resource, my gifting, my dreams, my hopes, it's all yours. Lord, what do you want me to do with it? But here's what we often do. Sometimes, as Christians, we make stuff up spiritually so we can do what we want with our bodies. We say, like, well, I know what the Bible says, but I don't know. I mean, I've prayed about it and I really have a peace about it. That means I no longer feel conviction. The Bible doesn't say that's a peace, the Bible says that's hard heartedness. We say, you know, what? I, look, I, I know what the Bible says, but, you know, I had this time, this moment with God, and, and you know, what? he's good with it. Like, he gave me the green light. Like, I know it's okay. Like, maybe for other people it's wrong, but for me and God, I've decided what my body wants. And so I've, I've decided, even though he said his word is the same yesterday, today, forever, I've decided in my relationship with God that God is good with it. And what Jude says is, basically, that's blasphemy. Because you're putting words in God's mouth. And his word was delivered once and for all to his people right here. <laughs> he says, sometimes we say, I'm at peace with it. Sometimes we say, yeah, God's given me a green light with this.' Sometimes what we say is, sometimes we say, ah, you know what, I, God will forgive me. I know, it's not really that big of a deal. I'm making light of of the sin in my life. But yeah, I know God's going to forgive me because I believe in Jesus and his grace overflows. And so I'm, I'm flippant and I do exactly what it's saying in here. I just, I minimize, I abuse grace. The question is, man, who, what's making the decision? Is it Jesus as our Lord and Savior or is it my body? And I believe that God has set an appointment for some For some followers of Jesus, God has set an appointment today. And he's saying, look, I want you to turn away from that. Not to restrict you, but to free you from destroying your body. sometimes what Christians do is they say, look, I know what the Bible says about not having sex before marriage, but you know, look, like, I think we're probably going to get married anyway, and it's just more convenient if we move in together and have an active sexual relationship. So we're living together, and it works. I mean, I don't know, I don't know where I'd go if I moved out. And so, you know, I'm going to do this, and, and I, it's fine. It's fine. God will forgive me, or I'm not perfect. He knows I'm not perfect. Or you know what? He just wants me to be happy. And so rationalize our life. Or there's believers that are just dabbling in things that are just headed towards defiling and destroying their bodies. So it's a, a man or a woman who's dabbling in pornography. Well, it's, I'm not hurting anybody. It's my own body. And I, you know, I feel like God's good with it. So I'm going to do this and, and you know, he'll just forgive me you know, one day. It, it'll be fine. Or there's this, you know, there's this emotional affair I'm having. Or maybe there's this this, uh, affair that, uh, actual physical affair. But you know what? Look, my spouse is just, I mean, God wants me to be happy. And my spouse is not making me happy. And this person over here is making me happy. So I'm just going to experiment with this. I'm not giving up on this. And I don't know how to, look, I can't figure it all out spiritually. But I know what my body wants. And it makes sense to me. So God must be good with it. Please. Your heavenly father is calling you to not, please do not destroy your body and your life because you're not just hurting yourself. You're hurting those around you who love you. There are believers that are dabbling in in substance dependence or with substance abuse with drugs or with alcohol and they're abusing it and they laugh it off like, ah, it's just a joke as if it's, they're just abusing grace. And he's saying, look, when you give yourself, when you let your body make decisions on those things, you're harming and breaking and hurting yourself. And he's trying to set you free. May he find us as a church that when he comes and says and he's calling us back to him, that we respond. And he finds obedience, return the other way, and we go back to him. You say, look, why would I make Jesus my Lord instead of my own body? Like, why would, I, why would I do that? I just, I hear what you're saying, but I just, I don't want to be so restricted. Like, why do I have to do all these rules to prove that, that I love God? And you know what? That's what every religion says. Religion says you've got to do this and that and you basically torture your body, restrain your body, restrict your body to prove that you love God and you're committed to God so that God will then love you. That is what religion says. But that's not what Jesus said. No, Jesus tortured his body so you could find love and forgiveness and your guilt and shame would be washed away if he loves you that much, if he gave that much for you, how could you hold anything back from him? Turn to Jesus today. Can we bring this to a decision point? Because I don't want you to hear this and say, yeah, good thoughts, let me think about it. Your heavenly father is saying, please turn the other way. Make a U-turn today. You can't do that on your own strength. You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. But take the step today. Don't put that decision off. That's just your flesh flailing, wanting to hold on to what it wants. But it's not wired to be your guide. Jesus is your guide. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Christian, I don't know how... The Holy Spirit might be convicting you right now. Maybe there's something that he's brought up in your life. And you're trying to avoid it right now in this moment and maybe your flesh is rearing back. You're feeling maybe anger. You're feeling dread and your flesh is now, what your flesh is doing is it's now engaging the mind. And it's saying all these rationalizations why What it is that you're fighting is okay, and your mind is now engaging, trying to reshape your spirituality and convince yourself that God's okay with it. But you cannot change God. He is unchanging. And he's spoken into our our world and into our lives, timeless, once-for-all truth. And here's what you need to hear first. He loves you. He's your Father, and He's brought you into His house today because He wants you to know that He loves you even in the midst of what you're doing. He accepts you even in the midst of what you're doing. But He's not going to leave you in the midst of what you're doing. And He's going he's to strengthen you, and He's going to empower you to walk out of this. And He's going to conform your mind, and He's going to help you guide your body. And so would you surrender to your loving Father who loves you so much Give the authority back to your Messiah, the one who gave up everything to save you. His body was tortured. What could we hold back from him? Would you make that decision today? Say, today's the day. I'm gonna turn away from that and I'm gonna look to you with Holy Spirit to empower me. Make the decision today. Take steps today. Some of you, this is a moment where you need to take a step and turn to Jesus And say, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want him to be the Messiah, the one who rescues me. Make him your Savior. Follow him today. If that's what you want to do, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Whether you're watching in Overflow or you're watching online or in this room, just in your heart, make this your prayer to God. Just say this silently to him. He hears you. Say, God, thank you for saving me. I believe you sent Jesus to die to pay for my sins. He rose again from the dead, defeating death, bringing me forgiveness as a gift. So I surrender to you with this life, knowing that you have eternal life waiting for me. You you are my Lord, in Jesus' name. Hey, if that was your prayer just then here's what I want you to do if you're watching online I want you to just go ahead and grab your cell phone in fact if you're in this room go ahead and I want you to grab your cell phone for a second I want you to grab your cell phone and here's what I want you to do. I want you on your browser go to cityrev.org slash faith if that was your decision there it's going to ask you just a couple questions we want to send you a bible and let you know what the next steps are on this journey um, on this journey of faith we want to encourage you church we're going to um, close with a song today. And in a song, as we're dealing with what the Lord has placed in our hearts, we want to be reminded it's not to add guilt and shame. He's brought this truth because He's trying to free us. And so I want to remind us that we're in the house of a loving Father. He cares for us. And He wants what's best for us. We've just got to trust Him and follow after Him. Would you stand with me as we sing that and celebrate that and believe that together today? Thanks for listening.